Today on the Matt Wall Show, the Biden administration invited a bunch of groomer drag queens to a rainbow-colored White House for a celebration of a bill codifying same-sex marriage and initiating a full-on assault of religious liberty in the country. Uh, they could not be more clear about their intentions at this point. Also, a human rights campaign report links me to, quote, anti-LGBT violence. A reporter asked for my comment about this, and I will happily give it to him, but he probably won't like it. Plus, a trans activist is gloriously exposed as a shill and a hypocrite during a house hearing. CNN starts pushing masks again for the holiday season. In our daily cancellation, a washed-up comedian embarks on a new and likely more profitable career as a fake racism victim. All of that and more today on The Matt Walsh Show. You know, if there's one thing I've learned after many Christmases with my wife, it's that you can never go wrong with soft, cozy gifts. And there's no better place to find such a gift than Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth is your one-stop shop for all things cozy this holiday season. Their luxury bedding is made using the finest premium viscose from highly sustainable bamboo. Plus, it's naturally temperature regulating for both hot and cold sleepers. Their luxurious loungewear collection is designed to flatter every body type. Shop their ultra-soft lounge pants, tees, and pajamas for women, or their joggers, pullover crews, and hoodies for men. Their premium plush and waffle bath towels make a great gift. And, you know, I've already got this ready. I've got it ready for my wife as a Christmas gift, so she hasn't tried it yet, but she will soon unless she hears this, and now the surprise will be ruined. My listeners can save 40% now on Cozy Earth bedding, loungewear, pajamas, and towels, but you have to act fast because this special holiday offer ends soon. Go to CozyEarth.com Walsh, and be sure to enter Walsh at checkout to save 40%. That's CozyEarth.com Walsh. It was a patriotic display last night. The White House was aglow, lit up in the colors of the national flag. No, it wasn't shining red, white, and blue, of course. Those are the colors of the American flag. But that is not the nation that this administration represents. Instead, it was glowing in the various shades of the rainbow, the gay pride flag, the flag of lgbt stand, the U.S. of gay, the only country that Joe Biden actually cares to lead. And it was a fitting end to a day that began with an enormous celebration around the signing of the so-called Respect for Marriage Act, a law that respects marriage about as much as Planned Parenthood plans parenthood. Uh, as we've covered on the show, the legislation will codify the radical leftist redefinition of marriage at the federal level. A redefinition of marriage is actually just the destruction of marriage. It's a redefinition that, uh, that gets rid of the, quote, old definition and substitutes it for nothing, which is always how the leftist redefinition process works. And it sets the stage for, um, uh, for the full-on assault of religious liberty, uh, which will eventually culminate in the criminalization of any religion that still adheres to what we now call traditional beliefs about marriage. Now, obviously, that is not all explicitly spelled out in the law, but it doesn't need to be. Now, of course, it was less than 20 years ago that Joe Biden, nearly 60 years old at the time, sat on Meet the Press and firmly declared that marriage is between a man and a woman. Let's uh, relive that moment together, shall we? The president used his radio address uh, yesterday and tomorrow in the Rose Garden to talk about a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage. You know, think about this. The world's going to Hades in a handbasket. We are desperately concerned about the circumstance relating to uh, avian flu, we don't have enough vaccines, we don't have enough police officers, and we're going to debate the next three weeks, I'm told, gay marriage, a flag amendment, and God only knows what else. I can't believe the American people can't see through this. We already have a law, the Defense of Marriage Act, where we've all voted, not where I voted and others said, look, marriage is between a man and a woman, and states must respect that. Nobody's violated that law. There's been no challenge to that law. Why do we need a constitutional amendment? Marriage is between a man and a woman. What's the game going on here? Now, Joe Biden had lived 60 years allegedly believing that marriage was a man-woman union by definition. A couple of years after that interview, he changed his mind. And he happened to change it at exactly the moment that nearly every other mainstream Democrat, to include Obama, changed theirs also. It was a mass awakening of sorts. All, all of them together, nearly overnight, decided that everything they'd ever said or supposedly believed about marriage was wrong. And the one thing that none of them have ever been able to do is explain why this change occurred. What did they 
come to realize about marriage that they hadn't realized before? What convinced them that their previous ideas were incorrect? What did the LGBT God say to them when it appeared in a ray of light on the road to Damascus and sparked their sudden conversion? None of this has ever been explained, at least not explained by them in an honest and believable way. So fast forward a few years, and the White House is now codifying a type of marriage that Joe Biden of 2006 said could not, by definition, even exist. As for the event, uh, to start things off, washed-up pop singer Sidney Lauper addressed reporters and thanked Joe Biden for giving her the permission that she needs to love who she loves. We can rest easy tonight because our families are validated and because now we're allowed to love who we love, which sounds odd to say, but Americans can now love who we love. And bless Joe Biden and all the people that worked on this for allowing people not to worry and their children not to worry about their future. Hmm. Now it uh, comes as news to most of us that prior to yesterday afternoon, we were only allowed to love certain people. And now, thanks to legislation, we can love anyone we want. All of those laws preventing us from loving people have been abolished. You know, all those anti-love bills, all of that love regulation, that's all gone. Never mind the fact that it didn't exist. And certainly didn't exist two days ago. So there was a lot of that sort of thing at the signing event, lashing out against non-existent threats and enemies, Joe Biden delivered uh, his own variation on this theme. Justice Thomas went even further, and he wrote the following quote. We should reconsider all the court's substantive due process presidents, including Griswold, Lawrence, Obergefell. That means he thinks we should reconsider whether you got the right to access to, concept, to, to contraception. And yes, we should reconsider whether you have the right to marry who you love. And that's not only the challenge ahead. When a person can be married in the morning and thrown out of a restaurant for being gay in the afternoon, this is still wrong. Yeah, well, that uh, isn't happening at all. But don't let that stop you. Isn't happening, hasn't happened, wouldn't happen. Literally just is not happening at all. Nobody's getting thrown out of a restaurant for being gay. Okay, that's not, that's not happening anywhere. There's not anywhere where the owner of a restaurant's going up to someone and say, hey, I heard you're gay. Get out of here. We don't serve your kind here. Get out. Just literally not happening, period. Which isn't to say that nobody's getting thrown out of restaurants for who they are or what they believe. In fact, just last week, a Christian group was denied service and kicked out of a Virginia restaurant for that reason, because of what they believed and who they were. Christians. There's no dispute about the facts of that case. The restaurant owner proudly admits to it. But Joe Biden isn't worried about that sort of discrimination. On the contrary, the objective is to exactly create a culture of that sort of hostility towards Christians and other outsider groups. But Biden didn't just use the opportunity to invent wild stories about forms of discrimination that no gay person in the country has ever or will ever face. He branched out and uh, began shilling also for child mutilation and castration. Listen. When hospitals, libraries, and community centers are threatened and intimidated, excuse me, because they support LGBTQ children and families, we have to speak out. We must stop the hate and violence, like we just saw in Colorado Springs, where a place of acceptance and celebration was targeted for violence and terror. We need to challenge the hundreds of callous, cynical laws introduced in the states targeting transgender children, terrifying families, and criminalizing doctors who give children the care they need. We have to protect these children so they know they are loved and we will stand up for them and say they can seek for themselves. So the president of the United States, demented old pervert that he is, wants to protect these children by ensuring that they are sexually abused and chemically castrated. This is not only horrifying and deranged in its own right, it also may come as a surprise to the more you know, oblivious sorts of conservatives who thought that the gay marriage bill was just about gay marriage. The people in this naive category may have also been shocked by the guest list for this event. Biden sent out invitations to 
all sorts of uh, various freaks and weirdos, such as a drag queen who goes by the name Marty Cummings. And um, though Marty is an explicitly sexual performer, he often performs for children, including children as young as two years old in at least one case. With that in mind, it's uh, no surprise that Kamala Harris kicked things off by paying homage to the great Harvey Milk. And as the great Harvey Milk once said, I quote, rights are won only by those who make their voices heard. And because you made your voices heard, marriages are more secure, and Joe Biden is our president. Now, Harvey Milk um, had a habit of uh, sexually abusing drug-addicted teenage boys. This is what qualifies you for greatness in the eyes of the modern Democrat Party. So to review, Biden held an event to sign a bill codifying gay marriage on the federal level, to which he invited drag queens who perform for children. And during the event, he shilled for child castration while his vice president hailed a notorious sexual abuser. That kind of summarizes it. So I must ask then the conservatives, quote unquote, who supported this bill, which there are many, uh, many Republicans support it. It's the only way that it, it, it was passed. And many other conservatives have come out in support of it or said that they're okay with it. I must ask those conservatives or, or any who uh, support, you know, the democratic view of marriage as an institution in general. Of them, I must ask, do you people understand what is going on now? Do you patsies get it yet? Has it sunken in? Will it ever? Is this enough? They are shouting their real agenda into a megaphone under a rainbow spotlight with half-naked drag queens dancing all around. Is that enough for you to notice? Is it still too subtle? Are you still sitting there like, I don't understand. I don't know what's going on here. Can you hear them yet? They're not whispering. Do you understand that the Democrats are not actually interested in protecting anyone's right to love? A right that was never under threat and couldn't be because it wouldn't be possible to pass a law banning love even if we wanted to. Do you understand that these people are actually interested in destroying everything that is good and true and beautiful and real in our culture? That they want to demolish literally every pillar of human civilization, that they reject every insight passed to us from our ancestors, and that they are in the process of fundamentally reshaping this country into a nihilistic, sexually debased wasteland of misery and moral anarchy. Is that clear yet to you? Everything they are doing is to that end. It is all for that purpose. Can you see that yet? How many drag queen pedophiles and BDSM dog fetishists, do they have to pack into the rainbow before you wake up? Well, imagine if, if you aren't awake yet, you never will be. So be it. Then just stay in your stupor, but get the hell out of the way, and let the rest of us fight this fight the way it needs to be fought, and do what needs to be done. Now let's get to our five headlines. Man, do you think it's time to stop mindlessly scrolling? Time to finally gain that higher quality of life you know you're missing out on? If this sounds familiar, then on January 9th, join thousands of men all over the world to embark on a 90-day journey together in search of a better life. It's called Exodus 90, and it was built to help men enjoy the freedom of becoming who they are and who they were truly made to be. Exodus 90 guides you in uh, removing the attachments that are holding you back from a better life, and it actually works. Independent research shows that Exodus 90 uh, and the men who participate report considerable shifts after the 90 days, including stronger satisfaction rates in their marriages, more meaningful prayer lives, and dramatic decreases in and time spent on their phones. For the past seven years, Exodus has uh, helped more than 60,000 men build a roadmap for living with virtue and a culture that offers far too many paths to self-destruction. So is it time for your Exodus? We start January 9th. Find resources to uh, prepare for Exodus at exodus90.com Walsh. That's exodus90.com Walsh. 
The Human Rights Campaign apparently put out a report a couple of days ago titled Online Harassment, Offline Violence. Unchecked harassment of gender-affirming care providers in children's hospitals and social media and its offline violent consequences. This is the report they published, and uh, it outlines the ways that conservative media, primarily myself and libs of TikTok, have fomented violence, allegedly, against LGBT people. And when I say it outlines the way that we've done this, I mean that it, it invents this story, fleshes out this narrative uh, out of whole cloth. So reading from the top of the report, and this goes on for pages and pages, uh, but it says, anti-equality online extremists are leading a proactive and coordinated campaign of hate against hospitals and medical providers who offer gender-affirming care for transgender, non-binary, and questioning youth. Social media posts from accounts like Libs of TikTok and Matt Walsh kick off a cycle of harassment and stigma with the ultimate goal of inciting violence and shutting down access to life-saving and medically necessary gender-affirming care. Hate speech accounts post an inflammatory message full of disinformation about gender-affirming care and call out a specific hospital or doctor by name. The doctor and hospital almost immediately begins receiving a barrage of harassing and threatening messages online. Offline doctors and hospitals named in social media harassment campaigns face harassment and threats at their homes and workplaces. In the most extreme uh, examples, doctors face death threats and hospitals face bomb threats, halting care for all patients. Extremist politicians looking to rile up the most extreme members of their base uh, join in, spreading the same transphobic rhetoric from their platforms, in some cases going so far as to introduce legislation to regulate children's hospitals and gender-affirming care providers. Hospitals halt gender-affirming care services or remove online resources and websites in order to protect the safety of their patients and staff. So that's that's uh, the human resources or the human rights campaign uh, going through this uh, this how the, the process as it plays out that they're inventing. Now, not all of this is invented. Um, so some of this is actually true. Not much of it, but some of it is. Like for example, um, stigma. Yeah, I, I fully admit. 100%. You can quote me on this human rights campaign. Quote me on it. I am trying to stigmatize doctors and hospitals and so-called healthcare providers who abuse children. I am absolutely trying to stigmatize them. I want there to be a very, very harsh stigma around that. I want all forms of child abuse to be stigmatized at a minimum. So you're right about that. The part you're wrong about is that we uh, have called for or encouraged violence. And uh, that's why in this report that, again, goes on for pages and pages, there is not one example provided. There never is any example provided of any of us ever encouraging violence at all. There are no actual examples because we've never done it. And yet we are accused of encouraging violence, even as this lengthy war and peace length report cannot give any examples of what it accuses us of. Now, I found out about this, uh, about this report because a reporter named Benjamin Ryan tweeted at me looking for comments. And this is, I didn't even know that this was uh, being done. And he tweeted, he said, hi, Matt, today the Human Rights Campaign released a report tying your rhetoric with regards to LGBTQ issues with anti-LGBTQ violence. How do you respond to that? And I gave him my statement. I said, hi, Ben. My official statement and response is that the Human Rights Campaign is a far-left extremist organization full of hacks and frauds, and I couldn't give less of a damn what they say. Anyone who takes them seriously is dumber than a pile of bricks, yourself included. Thanks. That was my official statement but that, that I hope he includes in its totality in, in whatever piece of propaganda he's writing for the New York Times or whatever he's writing for. And if I could just elaborate a bit on that. I, think, I don't think I need to elaborate much because I've, that's, I said what I had to say. But if I were to elaborate, I would only say that the ability of the human rights campaign or of Benjamin himself or anyone in the media to control me uh, depends on my consent, my participation. Like I always say about cancel culture, you know, you have to, in many cases, participate in some way in your own cancellation. And it's the same sort of thing here. I would have to participate in my own emotional blackmail by deciding to care what these people think. That's the participation that is required of me. The only way the human rights campaign can like scare me or make me or, or cause me to fall into silence by publishing a big report, Matt Walsh encourages violence. Only way they could do that is if I care what they think. But the problem that Ben runs into 
and that the, uh, the human rights campaign runs into and that Media Matters runs into is that I don't care at all. I just don't. You know, Media Matters, and I, I found out about this um, uh, because it was tweeted at me. One of our friends of the, of the Daily Wire, Margot, tweeted this to me that uh, apparently, and this is true, I, I, I checked it. If you Google, unless they've taken it down now, but if you Google on your phone Media Matters and it pops up, they act, you'll see that they have a, a whole category on their website for me. So they've got these broad categories of subjects, and then they've just got a whole other thing, which is Matt Walsh. And you can click on that, and you can see that's like three or four times a week they're posting articles. Um, but it's very frustrating for them because what they find, again, is that I just don't care. I don't care what you think about me. Your approval doesn't matter to me. In fact, it's worse than that for them. Um, it's, it's, I don't care about their approval. I'm not trying to get their approval. But as for their opinion in general, whether it's the Human Rights Campaign or this reporter or Media Matters, I do actually care about their opinion sort of because I want them to hate me. I do. Uh, because they are contemptible and despicable. And I would feel deeply ashamed of myself if they didn't hate me. So when they tell me that they hate me and they insult me and they accuse me of things, that only makes me feel more confident and reassured. Now, that's not that uh, the, the, the number one thing driving me is that I want to be hated by these people. But I do consider that a sign that I'm doing the right thing. In fact, honestly, if I go, if I go a few weeks and there's not some hit piece being published about me by someone, I start to think, man, I must be, I must be slipping. I'm, I'm, I'm falling off here. I'm not doing my job. So that's the issue. And you can put all that in your article, too, if you want. Um, all right. This is a great clip here. I, I, uh, so we, we've done some, some, some kind of heavy and, and, and uh, dark subjects. Uh, but, but this I love. This is the House Oversight and Reform Committee that a hearing on, quote, the evolution of anti-democratic extremist groups and the ongoing threat to democracy. This was supposed to be, it was designed to be, of course, an opportunity to defame conservatives, but Representative Nancy Mace flipped the script. Now, I'm no Nancy Mace fan, to put it mildly. She's one of the Republicans who signed on for this, uh, for this so-called Respect Marriage Act. And, and so um, I'm not a fan of hers. She's generally a left-leaning Republican who goes along with the Democrats' agenda on so many issues. But credit where it's due, she shined in this moment. This was a great moment. This was her greatest moment against one of the most vile and disgusting trans activists in the country. Um, this is because they got a bunch of activists that they brought in. And one of them is uh, Alejandra Caraballo, who's a male who identifies as a female and is an absolute soulless ghoul of a human being. Just an awful, awful person. Now, of course, that describes all trans activists. I mean, all trans activists are reprehensible goblins. They are. I mean, these are the, these are the, the most vicious, reprehensible people in the political sphere, period. Every single one without exception. But this one in particular. So let's watch as this kind of a long clip. But we'll, we'll, we'll kind of follow along. Uh, and we start by Nancy Mace baiting the trap. So here we go. Is rhetoric on social media a problem and a threat to our democracy, Mr. Ward? Yes, absolutely. Mr. Siegel. Yes. Ms. Caraballo. Yes. Ms. Numani. Yes. Ms. Tyler. Yes. Yes. Um, <clears throat> another question I have. Uh, do you believe that rhetoric targeting officials with violence for carrying out their constitutional duties um, is a threat to democracy, Mr. Ward? Mr. Siegel. Yes. 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 <clears throat> All right. Thank you very much. Only a few weeks after the attempted attack on a Supreme Court justice on June 25th, one of the witnesses, Alejandra Caraballo, tweeted out the following in response to a decision on abortion overturning Roe v. Wade. And I'll quote directly from the tweet. The six justices who overturned Roe should never no peace again. It is our civic duty to accost them every time they're in public. They are pariahs. Since women don't have their rights, these justices should never have a peaceful moment in public again. I know something about being accosted the night of January 5th. 
I was physically accosted on the streets of DC in Navy Yard by a constituent of mine. I fervently blamed rhetoric, rhetoric on social media, rhetoric at public events, for being physically accosted. I carry a gun everywhere I go when I am in my district and I'm at home because I know personally that rhetoric has consequences. I've had my car keyed. I've had my house spray painted. I had someone trespass in my house as recently as August. I've been doxxed on social media about where I live. Um, and I've had to add to security everywhere I go, often because I can't afford it. I have to carry my own firearm wherever I go. And um, Alejandra Caraballo also recently tweeted on November 19th, not even a month ago, that the Supreme Court, vested with the judicial power of the United States by our Constitution, stated they are not a legitimate court issuing decisions. And also the Supreme Court is an organ of the far right. So my last question today of Ms. Caraballo, do you stand by these comments, this kind of rhetoric on social media, and do you believe it's a threat to democracy? Thank you, Representative, for the opportunity to clarify and provide context to my tweets. <clears throat> um, I have a question, is it yes or no? Do you believe your rhetoric is a threat to democracy when you're calling to accost a branch of government, the Supreme Court? I don't believe that's a correct uh, characterization but of my tweeted, statements. Though. Did you not tweet that? That you thought that the Supreme Court justices should be accosted? Did what I'm saying is that that, that is no? not an accurate characterization of my statements. Uh, that, that's great. And what, what makes it great, too, is that we've got Caraballo saying, that's, not, that's an unfair characterization of my statements. Meanwhile, his statements are right behind her, right there. You can see it. You said you wanted a cost. I didn't say that. That's not what I said. It's right there. Now, I thought this is a beautiful moment um, because it exposes the, uh, of course, the hypocrisy and the double standards and everything. And, 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 but more than that, it just exposes the, the hollowness of what these people say. And that, that's really the value. Because pointing out double standards, it only goes so far. I get that. The value in doing it is that it shows, it demonstrates um, that what these people say is it's totally hollow. Nothing that they say means anything. It doesn't mean anything. All they care about is themselves. They, they, they are utterly consumed. And this is the case of leftist activists in general, in particular trans activists. They are just totally consumed by their own ego. It's the only thing they care about. That's it. And so they're going, and, and they want all of society to revolve around them and to affirm everything they believe about themselves and to participate in whatever delusional, uh, you know, charade that they demand. And they're just going to say whatever they feel like they need to say to, to, to advance that agenda. It doesn't mean anything. There are no principles here. <laughs> there, are no, there are no underlying principles. I wish that was the case. You know, the people that talk about uh, when you say, make these statements, it's a threat to democracy and all this, like, I, I, and we used to call these people, we, the left is either snowflakes and they're oversensitive. And there's still people on the right who say that, but that, that was never the case. I wish it was that. I wish it was just that. I, I wish it was uh, the, the problem with people on the left is that, or someone like Carabao, the problem with these people is that they're overly sensitive and, you know, they take words too seriously and, uh, you know, and, and they have this almost like Victorian prudishness when it comes to language. I wish that was the case. You know, I know people who are actually overly sensitive. And that could, it could be a bad thing. It could be a flaw. But it does emanate from, it's, it's a sensitivity. Like you, you care about people. That's what I mean. If you're actually sensitive, it means you're a sensitive and caring person. It's not bad to be a sensitive and caring person. I'm not, but it's not bad to be that. And yeah, it can go a little bit too far sometimes and, uh, and all of that. But that's not the issue here. This is not about sensitivity. This is not about, they, you know, they, they, they want civility and language. Now, the real answer that Carabao is not going to give and didn't give there is that, well, no, no, it's okay to call for a costing Supreme Court justice because they deserve to die. Like he wants them dead. That's it. Actually wants them dead. 
these people, they would be happy. If someone actually made it into Brett Kavanaugh's house, the guy who came to kill Brett, if he actually made it into the house and, and murdered him and his whole family, they would be happy. They would be, they would be ecstatic. So that's the answer. They deserve to die. Anyone who disagrees with them deserves to die. That is their actual belief. All right. And another clip here, changing subjects a bit. CNN is uh, pushing masks again as we get into the holiday. We're hearing more about uh, maybe we need to get back into masking. And let's watch this. New York officials are now urging people to start wearing masks up again since we've seen an uptick in cases and we're seeing a rise in flu cases as well and hospitals that are starting to get uh, uh, more busy and busier through this holiday season. Do you think that Americans and New Yorkers will start putting their masks on, though, after they haven't for so many months? Yeah, I, I think so. I think the framework, though, has to be one of individual protection. So I was rounding in the hospital today seeing patients, and I saw multiple COVID patients, multiple flu patients, even someone with something called metanumovirus, which is another respiratory infection that travels around this time of year. And I think as people see just how much virus there is out there this time of year, you know, when you're in a public place and you're surrounded by strangers, Throwing on a mask for, you know, 30 minutes while you go shopping is not too much to ask just to protect yourself. Even if you're a healthy person, you know, being sick for a week or two with flu or COVID is not fun. No, it's not. But I have to tell you, just from watching people here in the city, I don't see many people walking around in masks yet. Now, that could change in the next few weeks. While we have you, let me ask you about another alarming development that we've seen, and that's the shortage of over-the-counter medications. And these are medications that are prescribed for fever reduction and pain, uh, typically given to children. We've seen an increase in, in COVID, flu, RSV. How alarming is that, and what can parents do now? Yeah, so many kids are sick. I've got three of them. Um, they've, they've all had their share of respiratory illnesses this season. It does, uh, it's no big deal. It's not, not too much to ask to throw the mask on uh, as they're going to try to ramp up the masking again. And, well, it is, it is too much to ask. Actually, it's way too much. Um, if you're asking me to, to throw the mask on for 30 minutes, you're asking me for 30 minutes too many um, of wearing the mask. I do want to make one point about this mask thing, though. Enough has been said about it. I think you all know my view on the subject of masking. But one thing that frustrates me slightly when we talk about masks is when the anti-maskers, such as myself, otherwise known as just like common sense, regular people, uh, when they frame their arguments around the claim that the masks don't work, Right? They say, oh, the masks don't work, so why should we wear them? And it's true, of course, that so many of the masks that people have been wearing in the context in which they've worn them have been st statistically close to useless or worse. I mean, even the so-called experts will now admit that the cloth masks, you know, uh, they're, they're not doing much for COVID. And, and certainly, you know, back when like, people were wearing it's like wearing bandanas and all this stuff. It's like, it's like in, in the early days, they would just put something on your face. It doesn't matter what it is. Like that, that's not doing anything. Um, and, and they'll also admit that most people were never wearing the masks properly or wearing clean ones. And so the whole thing was just a pointless charade. But that's not really my issue with the mask. And I, I think it's a, we make a mistake by making that the issue. Because I don't care if the masks work or not. I don't care. It's, that's not the point. That's, that has nothing to do with it for me at all. I've never been all that interested in the question of, oh, do they work? How much do they work? What are the stats? doesn't matter. It makes no difference. That, that is not, that was never in my calculations. I guess maybe just speaking for myself. When I decided early on, I'm not doing this damn mass thing. It wasn't because I don't think this works. It was just because I'm just not doing it. I don't care if it works or not. It, now, it's true that a properly fitting N95 mask, if it's clean, if it's worn correctly, yeah, it'll help prevent, to some extent, the, the, the spread of, of different sorts of viruses and pathogens and all of that. There's a reason why, you know, doctors, uh, surgeons in hospitals when they're performing surgeries have always worn masks like that, medical-grade masks. And it was, you know, it was never an issue. It just it made sense. In that context, it, it makes sense. Um, so when we structure the whole argument around whether or not they work, then it sounds like we're conceding that if effective masks could be disseminated to everybody and if they were properly worn, that maybe we'd be on board 
for masking, but I'm not conceding that, and I never have, and I certainly don't now. So even in a in a fairy tale, magical fairy tale world where everyone had a top of the line medical grade, the best mask on the market, and uh, everyone had a, like an unlimited supply of them, so they could always have a clean one on, and all of that, which that that world could never exist. But if it did, I, I wouldn't find that a magical fairy tale world. That would be a nightmare for me because I don't care if the masks work. I don't care if it decreases my chances of getting sick or not. I'm sure that if I walked around in rubber gloves all the time, you know, and I, 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 I always had the, the, the surgical gloves on and I had a, a stash of them in my car. Now, people were actually doing this during COVID for a while. Maybe some people still are. Like, I'm sure if I did that, 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 that might uh, prevent the spread of certain viruses. Might, that might prevent me from getting sick in certain contexts. Maybe it might help. Not doing it. I don't care. It doesn't, it, it, I'm not living that way. That's always been my argument, and it is my argument now. I want to breathe fresh air. I want to be able to see people's faces, okay? You want to see and be seen in public. That's, 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 that's part of the value of being out in public among people. It's just a normal human experience, and that's what I want. I just want the normal human experience of going outside, breathing fresh air, uh, being able to talk to people and understand them and see their facial expressions. And so you can have the full range of human communication, okay, because body language and facial expressions is a big part of communication. I want all of that. And I'm willing to accept whatever risks may come from it. Yeah, going out in public, there are always risks involved in that, and not just COVID. First of all, there are much more dangerous viruses than that out there that you could, you, could, you could pick up potentially. And there's a million other things that could happen anytime you walk outside your house. I'm willing to accept all that. That's it. I, I, to me, that's a stronger argument. Although there, there, there is plenty that can and should be said about the effectiveness of masks and all that kind of stuff. To me, the more, the more unassailable sort of bulletproof argument is when you don't even give them that. When you turn into a conversation about the effectiveness, I, I, to me, that's just a losing argument. Better argument is when they say, oh, you're taking a risk. It's ri-. Okay, sure, fine. That's fine. I'm willing to do that, and I don't care. What, what can you say now? All right. Uh, what else do we got here? Here's a quick uh, story. This is interesting. A 70 years from Yahoo, a 70-year-old school bus attendant was spit on by a student and the man's response amounted to felony child abuse, according to the York Pocosin Sheriff's Office in Yorktown, Virginia. The dispute happened on a York County bus as it was transporting elementary school students, officials said. York County is about 25 miles north of Norfolk. It was reported that a seven-year-old student spit on the suspect, uh, the sheriff said in a news release. In turn, he sprayed the student with a cleaning solution. The suspect, who lives in York County, was employed as a bus at- assistant for the York County School Division at the time. He's no longer working for the district. Investigators did not say the student was injured. The type of cleaning fluid used was not announced. The suspect was arrested December 6th and taken to the Virginia Peninsula Regional Jail. He's charged with three felony counts of malicious bodily injury by means of of any caustic substance and one felony count of abuse and neglect of children. Uh, So there's a lot in this story that we're not told that I think is important. Like, what is the cleaning? Like, was this bleach or something? Was this something that could actually go blind the child or cause serious injury? Because if that's the case, then obviously, yeah, you got to put the, put the guy in prison for that. Uh, was this like a, essentially just a bottle of soap and water that he had back there and he was cleaning and then the kids spit on him and just sort of like reflexively the way you do with a cat, you just sprayed him with the water? Uh, is that what happened? Because that to me, that would change things rather significantly. Like, was there an actual danger of any kind of physical harm. Um, so that I don't know. But to me, the bigger point, you just hear these kind of stories. And I, I think back to when I was on the bus when I was a kid. And, uh, you know, elementary school, this was the case, but especially in middle school, the bus, even when I was go- going to, to school, you know, over two decades ago, the bus was, a, it was like a war zone. It was just total anarchy. And especially these poor bus assistants who they, I never could figure out, even when I was a kid, and I still can't figure out why they put people in these positions because they, you, you, you take, so usually it's older people, you put them in the back of the bus and they just get harassed and tormented constantly by the kids. That's the only reason that they're there apparently, just to absorb all that abuse. 
And uh, I think about witnessing that when I was a kid and how much worse it must be now. You know, because things have not gotten better. It's not like kids have become more disciplined over time. Uh, I don't think parenting has gotten better over time, right? Generationally. So however bad it was, we can assume that it's even worse now. And although this was not the correct response, obviously, um, it does show again, like when you have a seven-year-old, it says still young, seven years old, seven-year-old spitting on someone, that is, that is not normal seven-year-old behavior, at least it shouldn't be. That is way beyond inappropriate for that age range. Um, if I, you know, I have a six-year-old, and if he went and spit on some adult stranger in public, I, I would be, I would, I would be beyond furious, also at myself for failing as a parent. Um, and so you just see again the the impossible situation. As critical as I am of school staff and teachers, and, I, and there's a lots of criticism that needs to be directed in that, and it needs to go in that direction, um, especially with the grooming and the, the the indoctrination that goes on. But at the same time, I can recognize that they're also being put in impossible situation, um, being, you know, in, in these environments with, with kids that have not been parented at all. And then increasingly, increasingly over time, we also take away their ability to punish Every, every, you know, increasingly these, these potential punishments are taken away. Um, you know, you can't expel kids anymore, all this kind of stuff. And so their hands are tied behind their back. There's just nothing they can do except absorb the abuse. Until eventually they've had enough of it and they freak out and start spraying cleaning solution all over the place. All right, let's get to the comment section. Makes a Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage. Who's to blame? It's a sweet baby gang. Black Rifle Coffee Company is helping you knock out your holiday shopping with a ton of awesome new products this year. You can shop the best brewing gear, thermoses, mugs, and apparel designed for folks who love country and coffee. Black Rifle sources the most exotic roasts from around the globe. All coffee is roasted here in the U.S. by veteran-led teams of coffee experts. You can stuff your Christmas stockings with the latest roast from America's Coffee for 10% off with my code Walsh. Better yet, sign your secret Santa up for a coffee club subscription. Imagine the joy of a pre-scheduled coffee delivery, your favorite roasts when you need them most. It's the gift that keeps on giving. Black Rifle Coffee Company is veteran-founded and operated. They take pride in serving coffee and culture to people who love America. Every purchase you make with Black Rifle Coffee helps support veteran and first responder causes. So go to BlackRifleCoffee.com, use promo code Walsh for 10% off coffee, coffee gear, apparel, or uh, when you sign up for a new Coffee Club subscription, that's BlackRifleCoffee.com, promo code Walsh for 10% off Black Rifle Coffee, supporting veterans and America's coffee. Mr. Action Production says, you did it, boys. You made them redefine language to support their argument. That's as close to an admission of defeat as you can expect. Uh, yeah, it is an admission to defeat, like we talked about yesterday. And that's that's one thing about it. any kind of argument that you're in is um, it's important to know when the argument is won. And, you know, when someone's in a position where they're changing the dictionary in order to support their view because they can't, they, they have no definition they can offer for the words they're using. And so they just change the dictionary <laughs> to... To uh, accommodate for that fact, then they just they've lost the argument. They're not going to admit to it. People don't people don't people don't admit when they've lost arguments, especially when it's an ideological argument. So they're not going to admit to it, but they've still lost. Jasmine Houston Burns says, uh, quoting me, "A part of your job is to not bring your weariness into your employment." Jasmine says, "Exactly. You have to say the same thing a dozen times a day that that person in front of you has never heard it before. Plus, there's a tendency to be mad." When people don't know, well, you didn't tell them. Yeah, this is the challenge. It's like there's a version of the challenge in any job, especially a customer service job. And I, I can understand, talk about being in a, you know, being in impossible situations and all of that. I can understand why people in the service industry get frustrated and annoyed. I've worked those jobs in the past. I definitely got frustrated and annoyed. But but also, you, you, just, you just have to remember that this weariness that you feel, you're doing the same thing over and over and over again with a million customers. Well, each customer, that's not their experience. And uh, 
you know, they're, they're not in there thinking about the fact that you've already dealt with a million customers. I think uh, this is something that, I don't know, maybe the TSA could also keep in mind. And there, there, I've met some plenty of friendly TSA agents, including recently. It was a TSA agent who was a fan of the show and stopped me. He's a very nice guy. So this, this does not apply to all of them. But it's like going through the airport. You have these TSA agents who are just barking orders at people. And uh, in this extremely exasperated, uh, annoyed kind of way. And sometimes you'll even hear them talking to each other. How many times do I got to say it? I was like, well, yeah, you've said it a million times, but not. But the person that you're shouting at hasn't heard it a million times. They just walk through security. This is the first time they've heard it. All right. Rose says, Matt is groovy, way cool, boss-based, and the bee's knees. Go sweet daddy-o. See, there's, there's, there's some slang I can, I can uh, get with. Like I said, you get three. Each generation is allowed to come up with three new slang words. So this, the, current, the current youngest generation has already gone way above their uh, allotted amount. Uh, Aaron says, if some creep attacked my daughter in the ladies' room, he'd soon be identifying as a paraplegic. Well, this is the question we always have, especially, especially with the issue of men going into women's rooms and, and men invading women's teams and everything. One of the big questions is, like, where are the fathers in these situations? And, and sometimes the fathers are there and they're speaking out. But oftentimes that's a, a very conspicuous silence. That's why I don't, you know, there's some conservatives who will, who will blame the girls who are not sticking up for themselves. And it's like, girls need to speak out. The women on these sports teams, they need to speak out. And they do. That's true. But I'm more looking at parents. I'm looking at the men. I'm looking at the fathers. Why aren't you speaking up in defense of your, your daughters? There are some who are doing that, but not nearly enough. Um, and Michael Tyson says, maybe the Christmas tree is putting people in danger because a live squirrel comes running out at someone's face like the Griswolds. Yeah, that could be it. And, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday because we, we, we had the, the story of the um, person with the Human Rights Commission in whatever state that was, I forget now. But she was very, very upset at a Christmas tree in the, in the library. She was really angry about it and uh, just cussing people out and all the rest of it. And she had to resign. And that's good. And I said, how could anyone get this angry about a Christmas tree? A Christmas tree is a, is a site that should bring joy to anyone, should make anyone smile, even me. And all that is true, but I, but I should allow for the fact, and this is not why she was upset about it, but I, I have actually been that angry about a Christmas tree in the past. I mean, I, I, have, I have cussed out Christmas trees. I have cussed out many a Christmas tree in my life. I must admit that, although it's a different kind of situation. Because it's like when, when it's your Christmas tree and you're trying to do the real Christmas tree thing, and you're trying to put it up and uh, make it stay up straight, that's when it's okay to get that angry at a Christmas tree. Um, I, I've, I've had at least twice where I got so angry at the Christmas tree, I just threw it outside and we decided to get a fake one instead. So that's okay. But when it's someone else's Christmas tree and they've already gone through all that trouble and they're the ones who have to water it and all that kind of stuff and they put the lights on it, all the annoying stuff, then there's no reason to be angry about it. That's the stipulation. Don't miss out on our last Daily Wire backstage of the year tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Central, from the red wave that wasn't to Elon dropping the Twitter files. Myself and the rest of the gang will be discussing the most important stories of the day and the year. Witness the festivities and join me, Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, Andrew Clavin, and Daily Wire God King Jeremy Boring for a very merry backstage. You won't want to miss it. So tune in tonight at uh, 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern at dailywireplus.com. We will see you there. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. I don't have any exact numbers to flesh this out, but it seems to me that we have reached another period of peak race hustling. Of course, the race hustlers are always out there skulking and crawling about, but there are seasons when they are less active, and then there are seasons when they are more active, much like deer ticks or other blood-sucking parasitic life forms. In that ebb and flow cycle, it would appear that we are now in a time of flow. The disingenuous tears of racial self-victimization are certainly flowing as furiously as they ever have before, which is why over the past few weeks, when it comes time for the daily cancellation, uh, often the toughest choice is to decide which, which racial grievance-mongering phony I'll focus on 
Though today, I think there is one who, who really stands out from the rest, and that is Mark Curry. Mark Curry is a former 90s sitcom actor who, over the last couple of decades, has fallen into near-total obscurity. And he now tours the country as an alleged comedian, searching for the most undiscerning crowds to perform in front of. He's a struggle to gain attention or publicity through the strength of his comedy. And I'm assuming that's why he's decided to just finally cash in his victim tokens at the prize counter and take what he can get for them. And he has been able to get something. He's gotten some headlines out of it. He's gotten some pity. He'll probably get a lawsuit. Here's the uh, story from NBC News. It says, comedian Mark Curry accused a Colorado hotel staffer of racially profiling him as he sat in the lobby, an incident that prompted outrage from celebrities and a promise from the establishment to refund him after the actor posted video of the alleged encounter on Instagram. Curry, who starred in ABC's Hanging with Mr. Cooper from 1992 to 1997, was staying at the Mining Exchange in Colorado Springs. He was in the city for performances at 3E's Comedy Club on Friday and Saturday. Uh, Curry was drinking coffee when he said the employee asked him if he was a guest. He also informed him the lobby was private. The comedian said, according to the video, NBC News does not know what happened before Curry started recording. Well, of course they don't. Because one thing we know about almost any video relating to a supposed racism controversy is that the video always picks up in the middle of the exchange or the incident. We're never told what happened beforehand. Um, And before we play some of this out of context video for you, here's the hotel's response. NBC News reports again. We are committed to providing a safe and inclusive space for all guests and employees, the statement read. We deeply regret this incident and have reached out to Mr. Curry to offer not only our sincere apologies, but a full refund of his stay and an invitation to return at no cost anytime in the future. As a respected community partner, we are also using this opportunity to revisit training with our staff, helping to ensure all interactions are reflective of our company. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts issued a similar statement. Uh, The Mining Exchange is a Wyndham Hotel Quote, the hotel's owner and management team are working to make this right, the company wrote on Twitter on Sunday. So they deeply regret the incident. And it is indeed regrettable, but not because of the employee's behavior. Even in spite of the out-of-context nature of this video and the sketchy details about what exactly precipitated it, we still can clearly identify the bad guy in this situation. Now, this goes on for about 25 minutes. But I'll show you about two minutes of it. Here's the first two minutes, and here it is. All right, so the problem is I'm in a hotel lobby, and this man wants to see, I don't know. I don't know what's the- I'm just asking if you're a guest. Huh? I'm just asking if you're a guest. And I'm asking, are you a guest? I said no, I'm an employee. Well, let me, let me see some ID. You got your backup. How you doing, backup? Does he speak? <laughs> Hello, backup. John, you've been you've been here for 15 minutes. Okay, well we're gonna put you. All right. People, he's asking me for my. I can't be in the hotel lobby. This hotel lobby, you cannot be in this hotel lobby if you're black and you're a Colorado Springs. So if you're black and you're Colorado Springs, you can't be in the lobby. Wow, this is crazy, isn't it? So check it out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Look, they got a black man in Colorado Springs, so they send this dude. Look. Yeah. Oh yeah. The one he talks now. He talks. Yeah. Yeah. So a black man can't be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm trying to pull a race car, boy. So, so, and, and so, so we got an Uncle Tom calling me, saying I'm doing the race car, but he, but he hanging with this dude. This is what it's all about, people. He called me uh, uh, the race car. Yeah. I've asked you very politely. What'd you ask me, sir? I can't hear. Are you a guest of the hotel? I can't hear you. Say it again. You heard me. I, I couldn't hear you. My hard of hearing. And then, brother, here. Really, really, really. Facebook, which one is it? Here, look, here, brother. Look, here, brother. Here, brother. But, but he, he hanging with the light. Saying I'm pulling the race car. <laughs> look at the way this look. 
He need a race car. <clears throat> now, as I said, that continues for 20 more minutes as Mark Curry, the victim, quote unquote, becomes more and more belligerent, shouting and cussing at the hotel employees who are simply trying to do their jobs. Curry posted this video to Instagram along with the name of one of the hotel employees and the hotel's phone number. He sent an angry mob after the establishment. Many prominent people joined in the mob. Celebrities coming to Curry's defense, expressing their support for him during this difficult and traumatic time. And yet anybody with ears and a brain to go between them can watch this and clearly see that the bad guy in this scenario is Curry himself. I mean, how morally deranged do you have to be as an individual to watch that and think that the guy holding the camera is the good guy? In fact, Curry's not only the bad guy, but he's also the racist one in the exchange. He repeatedly mocks one of the hotel workers, who's also black, calling him an Uncle Tom, making fun of the way he looks. He is screaming racial slurs at the hotel staff while claiming to be the, ra the racism victim in the conversation. And all of this simply because he was asked if he was a guest at the hotel. He could have answered and said yes, and the conversation would have been over. That's all you had to do. Instead, he turned this low-stakes, totally normal interaction into a 30-minute argument, and then turned the 30-minute argument into a national backlash. That automatically makes him not only the bad guy here, but an a-hole of gargantuan proportions. And the fact that he's doing all this to some random, low-paid service industry workers only makes him even more of a sociopath. By the way, I have at least twice in my life, okay, I'll go on the record, twice in my life at least, I have been approached by staff members at a hotel and asked a similar question. On one occasion, I was sitting in a hotel lobby, and I was asked whether I was a guest, and the answer was no, because I was actually just there to steal their Wi-Fi, to be honest. On another occasion, the answer was, was yes, I was a guest, and, uh, and I was innocent of any crime. On both occasions, I, I simply answered the question. That's it. I wasn't interested in getting into an argument with hotel employees. I didn't see it as a publicity opportunity. And even though I was slightly embarrassed on the first occasion when I was essentially thrown out, I had no desire to exact vengeance or send an angry mob after them. Neither incident seemed you know, important or interesting to me, which is why I never mentioned them until just now. It's true that hotel workers, in my experience, normally won't ask you what you're doing in the lobby. But if you sit in enough hotel lobbies, you'll likely be questioned at least once or twice in your life. In Mark Curry's case, considering how shocked and offended he was, we can assume that this was the first time he'd ever encountered this line of questioning. So when he says, oh, black man can't go anywhere in America, well, according to you, you, you could go anywhere. And you've never, this is the first time this has ever happened to you, which is why you make such a big deal out of it. Which means in the anecdotal comparison, by the way, I have had this experience twice as many times as he has. The only difference is that I don't have a reflexive racial filter to feed every experience through. So if somebody says something to me, whatever it is, I don't immediately think, hey, he just said that to a white man. I don't think that. Okay? Instead, I think, hey, he just said that to me. Okay, you see the difference? Now, I am, of course, aware that I'm a white man. I'm happy to be a white man because that's part of my identity. I'm proud to be who I am. But I don't solely think of myself as a faceless representative of a racial category. When I walk about in, in my life and I'm operating and doing things, I, I don't think I, I am a white man doing all of these things. Like I'm, like I'm some sort of agent, some sort of PR rep for whiteness. And so if I perceive myself to be treated unfairly in a given situation, I will not automatically assume that the treatment was racially based. I will cycle through any number of potential explanations. First, I'll wonder if the individual just doesn't like me personally. You got to think about that first. Like it, it's, it's, if you're, people are treating you a certain way, uh, maybe they just don't like you. Maybe it's you. That maybe, maybe you're the problem. Or perhaps they're having a bad day, or perhaps they're simply incompetent, or perhaps, uh, you know, perhaps you weren't treated unfairly at all, or perhaps any number of other explanations. And if there is specific evidence that I was the victim of racism, then I'll take that into consideration. I'm not going to rule it out, but of course it's not going to be my first assumption. It's not going to be my first, last, and only theory. Because I'm aware that I am more than a racial category, and so is the other person in the exchange, and I'm aware that life is complicated, and people are fueled by many different kinds of motivations. But race hustlers are conditioned, or have conditioned themselves, to see themselves 
as nothing more than racial representatives and to see everyone else in the same light and to see every interracial interaction as a contest between those racial categories. That's why Mark Curry declared during that exchange that a black man can't go nowhere in America because he sees himself as that, a black man, just that, just a black man. Not Mark Curry, okay, not Mark Curry. This isn't happening to Mark Curry. They're doing this to Mark Curry. He didn't say that. It's simply a black man, just a generic black man. It's not Mark Curry being asked to produce his room key. It's a black man being asked to produce his room key. That's how he sees it or pretends to see it because it is more profitable for him to see life that way. Indeed, Mark Curry has not had much success recently simply being Mark Curry. Nobody cares much about Mark Curry or wants to hear his lame stand-up comedy. But when he becomes a black man, generically, that faceless representative of a racial category, that's when he gets the attention he so deeply craves. And that's what this is all about. And it's why Mark Curry, who happens to be a black man, is today canceled. And that'll do it for us for this portion of the show. As we move over to the members block, hope to see you there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.